This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. Well, in case you didn't already know, October is Foster Families Month in Newfoundland and Labrador. It's a time to highlight the benefits of fostering. This year, the Foster Families Association of Newfoundland and Labrador is celebrating its 40th anniversary. Well, my guest today on On Target is Executive Director Kelly Daw. Hello. Hello, Linda. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the show. 40 years. Yes, absolutely. It's an exciting time around here, and we couldn't be prouder of, uh, of this accomplishment. For sure. How much has changed over that length of time? Oh, a lot has changed. Um, certainly, the department that we work with, Children's Senior Social Development, of course, they're the government organization who um, has these children in foster care. Their structure has changed multiple times throughout the years. Um, and, of course, our organization, we change right along with it. So, you know, how we connect with foster parents, of course, things have become much more virtual and online. And so we're always changing and adapting to our, our environment. And, you know, we want to make sure that we're, we're reaching everyone as much as we can. Has the need for foster care increased over that length of time, dropped? Uh, how does, you know, does it vary? The, the, yes, the numbers always fluctuate, but... They, they've remained relatively stable throughout the years. I can't say that the need has increased any more, but there is certainly always a need for more foster homes. Um, anyone who is involved in this work can certainly agree that there are there are not enough homes right now. Any estimates on the number of children and families who have passed through the system in that length of time? 40 years is a long time. Um, I can't give you exact numbers on that. I can tell you it would be quite a lot. I can give you the most recent statistics for the number of children and youth in care. Um, as of the end of June, um, the department uh, gave us a statistic that there was around um, 900 children and youth in care in Newfoundland, Labrador, and there are about 600 uh, foster homes who are providing care to these, these children. So that sounds like fairly tight numbers when you consider that among the 900, there'd be, you know, some sibling groups there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess there's a couple of issues that come up with that. While 600 may sound like a lot for a province and population of our size, um, we still have situations where a child or youth will come into foster care and there is no available place for them to go. And so they could end up being in a, a staffed arrangement until uh, a foster home becomes available. We also have the situation where if a child or youth comes into care in, say, a rural community, um, there may not be a foster home even in that community. And so then that, per that child would have to leave their home and be placed outside of their community, maybe hundreds of kilometers away. Um, and that just so the child's already gone through the trauma of being removed from their family, and now they're also having to leave their school, their friends, their community, their extended family, and it just increases the loss that child has. I know there's been a lot of work uh, towards that end in recent years especially, but the, when it comes to these uh, situations where uh, children may end up in a staffed arrangement due to a lack of foster homes, have those um, incidents you know, gone down in recent years? I know it was a, a bit of a problem for a time. Um, it's not as significant as it used to be, I can tell you that. 
Um, just several years ago, we were dealing with situations where a child would come into care and they would end up in a hotel room with social workers or social worker assistants caring for them because there was absolutely nowhere for them to go. Um, there has been a lot of work done with establishing um, group home settings. So while it's still not ideal, as ideal as a foster home, we don't have children and youth going into hotels, at least not nearly as often. And those group home settings have changed over time too, haven't they? They have changed quite a bit. Um, the the need has been recognized that because there aren't enough foster homes, um, and sometimes the needs of these children and youth are greater than what a foster home is able to meet, so there's no other option but to go in a staffed arrangement. And they've come a very long way in uh, tailoring their programming, their staffing, their policies around what their, these children and youth needs are. Um, and I have seen it firsthand that they are doing some very wonderful work. Um, and, you know, certainly there is a need for those in our community. But, of course, research has showed us that a child will do best when they're in a home environment with consistent caregivers. Indeed. Um, But my understanding is that some of these group home settings are a little more home-like than they used to be, less institutional, if you will. Absolutely. Um, Gone are the days of uh, having children in orphanage-type settings. Um, They are much more, they're warmer, they are, you know, I would say friendlier, welcoming, Um, you know, they do allow for, you know, family visits and access to happen in these homes. Um, You know, they try to tailor um, activities and hobbies around each need of the child that's in the home. Um, And the staff have been getting, um, I would say, much better training now in terms of, you know, knowing how to um, address the needs of the children who are in in these arrangements. So 40 years of uh, Foster Families Association in Newfoundland and Labrador. I know you got some things planned. Uh, any special events? Uh, well, we kicked it off right on the first day of October. Uh, October 1st, we had our, we call it our fall kickoff event, where we invite foster families here on the Avalon to all get together. Um, and we did that on Saturday. We had a big family-type event where we had 60 people come out, foster parents and the children in their care. We had bouncy castles and face painting and a reptile show and food, and it was just pure madness, but it was so much fun, and the feedback was awesome. And especially since we've kind of gotten past the the COVID lockdowns, everyone is just so eager to get back together and do things face-to-face again, and the feedback was great. And it's nothing better than getting foster parents and these kids together um, to network, you know, just to chat, um, because no one understands what a foster parent goes through better than another foster parent. So we had a lot of fun there. Uh, This past Monday, we had our proclamation signing here at the office with uh, Minister John Abbott. And uh, we have a full month of trainings, virtual trainings uh, scheduled that foster parents anywhere in the province can log in and take part in those training education sessions. Uh, We're going to be traveling to central Newfoundland later this month uh, to meet with foster parents. And then we're also going up to Labrador, to the north coast, to meet with foster parents up there, uh, to do some recruitment and education sessions up there. Um, So there's a whole lot on the go, and uh, it's been pretty busy. And I want to talk to you a little bit more about that and uh, some of the things that uh, foster families and the Foster Families Association do when we come back after the break. This is Foster Families Month in Newfoundland and Labrador. We're speaking with Executive Director Kelly Dahl. We'll be back right after this. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. 
And we're speaking with the executive director of the Newfoundland and Labrador Foster Families Association. October is Foster Families Month. And uh, Kelly Daw, how did you become involved with the Foster Family Association? Uh, well, previous to this role, I worked as a social worker with CSSD. Um, I did uh, child protection work with them for 10 years. And it was just last September that um, I came into this role. My predecessor, uh, Diane Malloy, um, sailed off into uh, retirement. And I was fortunate enough to come along and be able to take on this position. So I've been here just over a year. And um, it's just kind of a continuation of the previous work I was doing, uh, working with foster parents and kids and youth who are in care. So you've seen the benefits. Oh, absolutely. I've seen so many um, success stories and positives come from foster care. Of course, child youth coming into care is not a happy or positive experience. Um, It's often traumatic and very difficult for everyone involved. However, when it has to happen and you can place a child into a foster home that's loving and stable and that child can go to bed that night feeling safe, even if they're sad, um, that's a success. Um, And to see children uh, thrive, come out of their shells, um, you know, warm up to a foster home, build very positive, loving attachments with their foster parents, um, those are things we love to see, and we do, do see that happen quite often. And it may not feel like it at the time, but, you know, the, the benefits are felt over time, aren't they? Some children may grow up to see this as a very positive thing. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, you don't always see that overnight. Um, it can take a child quite a while to settle into a foster home and to build those relationships with their caregivers. However, if the child's there for any length of time, um, uh, you'll see those relationships form. You'll see that child start to trust them. Um, you know, it'll start to feel, even if it's a temporary home, it'll feel like home. Um, and we've often seen these children or youth, when they leave the system or they return to their biological families, those relationships with the foster parents often continue because they've built those strong connections. And that can be another relationship, another connection that that child can have for the rest of their life. So what does it take to be a foster parent or a foster family? Um, Well, I guess from a personality perspective, it takes a lot of patience. Um, You have to have a very open mind, a very open heart. You have to have a lot of love to give. Um, From a practical perspective, you have to be at least 25 years of age in this province to foster. Um, You have to have space, adequate space in your home. And, of course, you have to be willing to go through quite a lengthy assessment uh, process uh, to be approved. Take us through that. Okay. Um, So it would start off by um, an applicant filling out an application form that they can get from our association or from the Department of CSSD. Um, They would also have to complete a criminal record check form, a child protection check form, and they'd have to sign a release of information so that um, they're giving the department permission to do these background checks. Once those steps are completed, um, they would be connected with a social worker in their region who would sign them up to complete pride training. Um, And so pride training is a it's a class, it's learning, it can be done online or in person, and it basically takes a foster parent or an applicant um, through all the particular scenarios, everything that they would need to learn and what to expect as a foster parent in the system. Um, upon sex- successful completion of PRIDE, they would then have a social worker come into their home to do a home study. So that would involve interviews with everyone who lives in the home, 
and also a physical check of the home to ensure that the environment would be physically safe for that child or youth. Um, there's also medicals that would be completed, uh, reference checks would be done, as well as um, a financial background check to ensure that the, the potential foster home is already financially stable. Um, so once all those pieces are done, and this can happen you know, over a period of several months, um, and at the end of that, if the department believes that the applicant is a good fit and they meet all the competencies and the, the applicant is confident to move forward, um, then they would be matched with um, a child who needs a home. It's really, you know, opening up your, your own life to absolutely. another family. Right. You Absolutely. You have to be very transparent through the assessment process and with good reason. Um, you know, we all want to be sure that the homes that we're placing these children and youth in are absolutely the best and safest homes. You don't want to take a child out of one um, harmful situation and potentially place them in another. So we have to make sure that we're only getting the best. Um, and of course, even after your home has been approved and a child is placed, you still have to remain, have to maintain that transparency. You have to be open to having a social worker visit your home at least once a month, um, letting a social worker know of any changes in your own life, um, any major events. And you also have to be open to working with um, potentially the biological parents or birth families of these children and youth as well. You mentioned patience is a, is a well, patience is a virtue, mm -hmm. but uh, patience is needed in these kinds of cases. And uh, um, you have to be able to, you know, navigate through some kind of tricky ground, I would imagine, from time to time. Um, but are any special requirements needed? Like, do you have to have, um, you know... Um, you know, emergency knowledge and all those kinds of things, like any special requirements? There's no special requirements. Uh, the pride training would teach you um, the basics of what you would need to know. It would adequately prepare you for your first placement. Of course, there's always ongoing education and training that would take place after, and we do a lot of that work here at the association where we offer training, ongoing learning, because, of course, when a child or youth is placed, they could come with any type of issue, behavioral challenge, diagnoses, um, it could be anything really. And so a foster parent may need more information on a specific issue or condition um, or situation. And so, you know, we always try to provide them with that very specific information when they need it. Um, so, you know, they are given the information up front, they're given adequate training, but ultimately anyone can become a foster parent. And we always try to get that message out there. Um, you don't have to, I think there's some misconceptions that, you know, you have to own your own home. You have to be married. You know, there's all these sorts of uh, myths and they are myths. Um, single people, um, married couples, common law couples, uh, same-sex couples, it, it doesn't really matter. Anyone can become a foster parent. As long as you got a loving home and, uh, and uh, I guess, a compassionate spirit. Absolutely. As long as you have a loving home, you have space in your home, and, you know, you successfully get through the assessment process and you're deemed appropriate, um, anyone can be a foster parent. My guest today on On Target is the Executive Director of the Newfoundland and Labrador Foster Families Association, Kelly Daw. October is Foster Families Month, and they're celebrating their 40th anniversary, believe it or not. We'll be back right after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. 
And our guest today is the Executive Director of the Newfoundland and Labrador Foster Families Association, Kelly Daw. And uh, Kelly, before the break, you touched on some of the myths some people may have uh, surrounding fostering. But what are what are some of the concerns you hear from potential fosters that might make them hesitate to come forward? Um, I think the number one concern we hear from potential uh, foster parents would be their worry about not being able to let a child go when the time comes for them to leave and be reunited with their family. And, of course, that's a very real issue. We certainly do talk to foster parents very often who are dealing with feelings of grief and loss. Of course, when they take a child into their home, we want them to get attached. We want them to love that child as if they're their own. So it's only natural that after that attachment and that bond forms, when the child leaves, it's going to hurt. It's it's hard. There's nothing easy about it for sure. Um, But we wouldn't want that to stop someone um, from fostering. Um, because we always tell people, you, you, while it's painful and it will hurt and you will grieve, you have to look at the good you've done while that child's been in your home. And you have to um, consider the rewards of what you've done, the difference you've made in that child's life. And even if they've been in your home for a short time and they leave and you go through that grieving process, you've actually made an impact on them that could follow them for the rest of their lives. And again, in many of these cases, even though you know they're leaving your home, you could still have a possible connection with that child long after they've left. I was going to say, do very many relationships continue? Uh, I know of some that have over the yes. years, uh, but do they typically continue if you want them to? Yeah, they certainly can, and we we have a lot of examples where they do. Uh, not in every situation, um, you know. It 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 really it's on a case by case basis, of course. Um, with older children who are in a foster home, then they leave. Um, they oftentimes will maintain some relationship with their foster parents afterwards. Um, It really depends. We've also had situations where, you know, a baby could be in a foster home at birth and then leave maybe a year later. And that that connection still continues with um, the biological parents or the adoptive parents where um, birthday photos, Christmas photos, letters, emails still get uh, shared back and forth so that foster parent can still see that child grow and develop and that relationship can go on right throughout the child's life. Do our fosters expected to have an interaction with the birth family? Some fosters might not feel comfortable with that. What are those relationships typically like? There is often um, connections between the foster homes and the biological uh, family. Not in every situation. It's, again, on a case-by-case basis, and it's always um, assessed by the social worker uh, to determine whether it's safe for that foster parent to have um, a connection with, uh, you know, birth mom, birth dad. Um, But we do see it quite often where the foster parent will kind of come alongside that birth parent. They'll, you know, do FaceTime. They'll send pictures. Um, They'll keep the birth parent in the loop, um, you know, what the child's doing in school or at daycare. Um, Birth parents can often accompany the foster parents to medical appointments um, or extracurricular activities. And that's ultimately what we want to see. Um, It's very healthy for those connections to form because the foster parent can then kind of become um, almost like a coach to the birth parent. And that foster parent can then become an active participant in supporting reunification and helping that birth parent learn the skills that they need um, to become well and to be able to take on the role of parenting again. 
And what about if, if the relationship is not a, a positive one uh, and, and a foster family is uh, meeting with some difficulty in that regard? It, does the association or are there supports there for them? Typically in that situation, so of course we're here as a support to help foster parents navigate that if they have are having challenges um, with the relationship with a birth family. If there are actual safety concerns or a reason where it's not appropriate for that contact to be happening, that will be a responsibility then for the social worker to mediate uh, in that situation. So the social worker would act as a go-between them, between the foster parent and the birth parent. What about the time commitment needed? Because I, I can just imagine now we all have busy, busy lives, and uh, I'd, I'd say there's a plenty of uh, potential foster families out there who might make absolutely fabulous foster parents, mm-hmm. but they, they're, they're looking at their calendar and saying, okay, well, I work full time. Uh, I got two youngsters of my own. We take them to this on Saturdays. We do this on Wednesday evenings. I don't know where I'm going to fit a foster child in the middle of all of this. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, is that a real concern as well? Um, absolutely. Uh, there's no doubt that when someone is considering the possibility of fostering, they have to look at their current commitments and lifestyle and make a very informed decision on whether it's appropriate for them. With that said, um, you know, we do have foster families who already have, say, biological or adopted children of their own. They're, you know, working full-time. They have outside commitments. They already have a very busy household. And that child who comes in from the foster care system can kind of just fit right in and just kind of, you know, join in the routine. And foster parents make it work. Um, the department will support foster parents who do work outside the home. Um, so child care is covered financially by the department. Um, of course, we, we still want to see foster parents be able to continue to work and, and fulfill their, their everyday commitments. So the department does support that. There is also um, respite available so that if a foster parent needs a break or they need a weekend off, um, you know, they can get that and the child can be placed temporarily in a respite foster home. Um, I will say that there aren't enough respite foster homes. We hear that quite often from our foster parents. And so we're always putting out the call that if you don't feel um, equipped or ready to foster full-time, there is a possibility where you can be approved to foster as a respite home, so where you just do it on a weekend basis or just do it for a couple weeks at a time. So you're you're that foster parent who's giving the full-time foster parent that needed break that they need. So that would typically, I guess, look like uh, weekends or um, summer vacation, those kinds of things. Absolutely. That's right. Exactly right. Yeah. So very, very short term. And so um, how does that differ then from being a, a foster family on a more permanent basis? What kind of supports are there for, I mean, you know, you might get a call all of a sudden saying we got two babies mm-hmm. and you got two cribs. I mean, <laughs> very few people have that on hand. Uh, you know, how would that work? Um, well, that does happen quite often where you get a call last minute and be asked to take a child who could be showing up on your doorstep in the next hour. Um, and people make it work. Um, I've seen um, miracles be pulled off with car seats showing up and cribs showing up and high chairs and formula and all the other stuff. Um, it, it, somehow it happens. Um, so the rest of foster homes are essentially, they go through all the same training, the same assessment process, um, except um, they're just taking children based around their own schedule. So when they feel like they're able to take on that weekend responsibility or for a couple of weeks. Um, but essentially everything else remains the same. You still have a social worker who's there 
there to support you. Um, you still have access to all the same supports and services from our association, except you're only doing it on a, a temporary basis. Once a foster family, always a foster family. I'm thinking in terms of somebody who might have a couple of kids for six, eight months, uh, and then the kids get reunited with their family, and um, and then they get another call right away, or how does that work? That is usually the case. If you're a foster home that you've just had a child leave and you have a vacant space in your home, you can be certain that you will be getting a call very quickly. Um, again, there's not enough foster homes, so if the department knows you have an, an empty bed, they're going to fill it up right away. Um, and again, it's up to it's up to the foster parent wh- how much they're willing to take on. If you had a placement and that child leaves and you feel like you need a little break before you take on another child, you can absolutely have that break. Um, and the department recognizes that. Everyone, you know, needs a little bit of reprieve in between sometimes. But if you want to jump right in and have another child come into your home, that can absolutely happen as well. I've heard some foster families say after, you know, uh, uh, having a couple of kids for a while and all of a sudden they say, oh, my gosh, the house is so quiet. It's mm. so empty. What are we going to do with our time? Mm, exactly. They find that they're looking for that next family. Right. And, of course, there is going to be that loss and that void in your home when a child leaves. And I've heard from many foster parents who say part of their coping or grieving is to have another child come in so that that void, you're not replacing the child who left, but you have something to kind of keep your attention, keep you busy, uh, you know, have some extra activity and some noise in the house. And that kind of helps them, uh, you know, move forward and helps them cope with the loss of the child who's left. I want to talk to you about compensation because that's a very real concern these days, especially mm-hmm. nowadays. My goodness gracious, the price of everything going through the roof. Um, when we come back after the break, my guest today on On Target is the Executive Director of the Newfoundland and Labrador Foster Families Association, Kelly Daw. October is Foster Families Month. We'll be back right after this. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. October is Foster Families Month, and we're speaking with the Executive Director of the Newfoundland and Labrador Foster Families Association, Kelly Daw. And uh, Kelly, of course, when it comes down to it, uh, you know, people want to know how much uh, am I going to be compensated for this? Uh, As we know, the price of everything has gone through the roof these days. Are are foster families adequately, adequately compensated, and have you had to up those amounts in recent months? Um, so I'm very pleased to say that Newfoundland Labrador has one of the best compensation rates for foster parents in the country. Um, this was a change to the department's policy that happened several years ago. And, of course, it was through um, advocacy work that was done by the association um, that led to the rates being increased at the government level. So I'm very pleased to say that. Um, the rates vary. Of course, it depends on the age of the child and whether you live on the island or in Labrador. Um, rates for foster parents in Labrador are higher because, of course, there is an increased cost of living up there. Um, and it also depends on if the child has specialized needs. Um, so it can vary. Um, I can give you an example. Um, if you have a five-year-old child If you're a level two regular foster home and you have a five-year-old placed in your home here on the island, you would be given a $200 startup or it's called a placement allowance. So that would be for you to be able to go out and buy 
um, clothing that the child needs right off the bat, um, you know, certain toys, um, uh, you know, decorations for their room, any particular foods that you know that they're going to want. And then you'd be compensated for uh, beds and furniture. So if you need a bed, crib, car seat, stroller, a dresser, um, the department pays for those items up to a maximum cost. And then with your monthly maintenance after that, for that five-year-old child here on the island, you would receive in the ballpark of about $1,700 a month. Um, So, of course, we're all feeling the pinch of inflation and rising costs, um, but I still feel very quite confident that the amount that the government provides right now to foster parents is adequate. um, And of all the calls that we receive from foster families, um, a lack of funding doesn't typically tend to be one of them. Um, the majority would tell us that they feel the rates are adequate. Are, are the commitments that foster families make for the long term? I mean, are you looking for somebody who will, say, do it for two years, five years? Um, we would encourage anyone to try it once. Take in one child and see how it fits with your life and if you feel like it's right for you. And I'm quite confident that after that first placement, um, that foster parent will want to continue. There doesn't have to be a set time commitment. We wouldn't want anyone to feel pressured that they have to do it for years on end if if it's not right for them. Um, But many foster parents who get into it um, go on to do it for quite a long time. Um, We recently, just this past summer, we did an award ceremony, um, years of recognition for existing foster parents. And we had many foster parents who received awards for 20 years of service. And we had a couple who were at 35 years of service. So it really varies. Some do it for a couple of years and then move on. Others do it for a lifetime. Wow. 35 years. Yeah. It's phenomenal. When you think about how much changes in a person's life over a course of 35 years, that's really extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's, it's a wonderful commitment. Some, some of these foster parents have dedicated their entire adult lives to fostering. You know, some of them will actually say they've made it's just become part of their identity. It's part. It's just their career. It's their calling. It's what they were meant to do. And what about a situation where uh, you might have a, a child placed with you or a family placed with you, and and you're into it for so long, and you say, you know what, things have changed. I'm not feeling this. Uh, are people should foster families feel free to say, I don't think this is working. Absolutely. Um, I don't think it's in anyone's best interest for a foster parent to be. Uh, fostering if they don't feel like it's a right fit anymore. Um, They're not doing anything to help themselves or their own families, and it's certainly not going to be in the best interest of the child or youth who's in their home. So, you know, we we get it. Uh, People's circumstances change. Um, You know, health statuses change. You know, family circumstances, uh, jobs and careers. Um, People just enter different stages of life, and while it may have worked at one stage of your life, it may not work in another. And we would always tell someone who's thinking about fostering, you don't have to feel the pressure to commit forever. Um, and if you get to that stage where you feel like it's just not a right fit anymore, it's okay to step aside. It's okay to close your home. Um, and you just have to look at you know, the difference you made in the lives of the kids who were there while you were open. Where are some of the greatest needs? Oh, um, that's a tough question to answer. There's a need everywhere. Um, But I I have to, I always have to highlight the need in Labrador. Um, That comes up time and time again. We see far too many Indigenous children having to be placed um, 
on the island having to leave um, their homes in Labrador and come down to Newfoundland because there aren't enough foster homes up there uh, to accommodate them. And ideally, we would like to see every child who comes into care at the very minimum, be able to stay in their own community, in their own culture. And um, if I could see more homes open anywhere, it would probably be in Labrador for sure. So what are some of the challenges there then? Has it, uh, does it have to do with housing? Um, I think, you know, housing is certainly an issue. Um, you know, it's well known that there are, there's, I don't know if we can call it a housing crisis, but there are certainly challenges with overcrowding in the homes in Labrador, particularly in isolated North Coast communities. So a lot of these families are just, do not have the physical space, even if they have the interest and the heart to foster. They just do not have the physical space to do it. And those are not easy challenges to overcome. Um, you know, it's financially just not feasible to make their homes um, appropriate for fostering. Um, the isolation factor, I mean, these are small communities. Um, the, the number, the pool of people we have to choose from who want to foster is low. Um, so there are a number of challenges, but we're actively working to try to work around some of those. And maybe, and this is why we go to Labrador every year, because we want to talk to some people who think, well, I'm not a candidate. I can't do it. I don't have the right situation. And that's why we go up there to educate them and help them understand, like, yeah, like you could actually do it. If we can come overcome the housing challenge, you have the space, um, you know, we, we try to, we want to get more homes opened up there. Can family members foster? I'm thinking in terms of an aunt and a, or an uncle or a cousin or a grandparent. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we have many significant, we call them significant other foster homes. Um, so it doesn't have to be a biological relative. It can be anyone who is significant to that child who's come into care. Um, and they would receive um, compensation as well. Um, a significant other doesn't ha don't have to complete the pride training like a regular foster home, but the option is there for them. If they want the education and they want the training, significant others can also go through that training period as well. Is it more challenging to place some children than others? I'm thinking in terms of, uh, you know, a single child or a baby versus, uh, you know, a, a sibling group of three, maybe 12 to 15 year olds. Um, Yes, sibling groups can certainly be a challenge, um, often just because of space issues. People just might not have the room to accommodate uh, large sibling groups. Um, you know, some foster parents only want to take babies and toddlers, while others only want to take teenagers. So it really varies. Um, I guess I, my experience has been is that it's often more difficult to place teenagers um, than it is younger children. Um, so Teenagers and sibling groups can certainly be a challenge. And what happens in those particular circumstances? Do those children, you know, end up in, in a, a group home type of that's, situation? That's often, that's what we've seen. Um, you know, it might only be on an emergency basis until a regular foster home becomes available. Um, but Often the children that we see going into the staffed arrangements are the teenagers because it is so difficult to find homes for them. How can someone become a foster family? Well, they can reach out to us here at the association. Um, they can also check out our website. We have the application and the, the record checks available on our website that they can go in there and complete. 
And later this month, uh, we will be holding an information session, a virtual session, if someone would like to join and ask questions, um, hear about, you know, everything I just got discussed today, and they can have a conversation with us, get their questions answered, and um, that's happening on October 19th. And if someone wants to join, they can give us a call or send us an email, and we can give them the details on how they can participate in that. Well, let's hear some of those numbers. Sure, absolutely. Um, so they can call us here at the office at 754-0213, or they can check out our website, which is fosterfamiliesnl.ca. And do you find that, you know, when you put the call out there, when these public events are, are held, do you find you get a little bit of an uptake in interest? We do. Uh, we speak to, uh, after we get this type of uh publicity, uh, we often hear from our counterparts over at the department that they get an uptick in calls. We get an uptick in calls, but also the department does as well. So that's really positive. That's why I love doing um, these types of uh, activities because it really gets the word out there and, you know, maybe it piques somebody's interest. So someone who may not have thought about fostering before, they may hear this show and think, hmm, maybe I could do it. So if I can do this with you today and one person decides to take that step and fill out an application, then it's, it's all worth it. Well, I hope that we hear from you at some point and say, you know what? <laughs> we just got a bunch of calls. So I hope that's the case. Absolutely. Kelly, I really appreciate your time this afternoon. Have uh, a great month now celebrating 40 years of uh, foster families here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, Linda. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. And uh, we're going to go out with a little song today. Uh, Chantel Kravietsuk, Feels Like Home. Thanks for listening, everyone.